People ask me, did hockey do this to you? The stress, the pressure of being a goalie. Hockey probably saved my life. I have a bit of a chip on my shoulder because why was I not educated about this stuff in school? I don't care how you look at it. Getting this person help is going to be better for everybody. Welcome to the All In Podcast, where we dive into the mindset, habits, and stories behind inspiring and passionate individuals who know what it takes to go all in. In this episode, we have former NHL goalkeeper Corey Hirsch. Now, before we dive into the episode, I want to thank everyone for supporting the podcast and just being patient as we took a bit of a break over the past few months. Each year, I take a bit of time off both hosting and doing interviews for my mental health, but this year, that unfortunately aligned with finding out my grandfather was passing away. So I decided to extend that time off a bit, and I just really appreciate everyone who checked in and let me know how much the podcast meant to them, because it definitely keeps me going, and now I'm excited to be back, and with a great guest this week. So Corey is someone who has dedicated his entire post-professional athletic career to the topic of mental health, and that's exactly what we talk about today. I do want to give a trigger warning that we do talk about suicide in this episode. Now, I can remember reading Corey's editorial in the Players' Tribune back in 2017 when he openly shared his experience about going from the top of his sport to almost driving himself off a cliff. It was such an important reminder for me at the time, who was starting to see the light after a couple really dark years experiencing similar things myself, that just because you seem successful on the outside doesn't mean you are immune from mental health issues. In this episode, Corey shares his experience as well as talking about hockey and sports culture as a whole, advice for the next generation, and what he's learned from his discussions with other athletes. So without further ado, let's go all in. Corey, welcome to the All In Podcast. Thank you so much for making time out of your busy schedule to join. Uh, Could you talk us through where you're joining from? Yeah, no, I'm in uh, Vancouver, Canada. Um, kind of rainy and cloudy today, but you know that's Vancouver, right? It's, yes, um, yeah. Been here for a while now. They played here in the NHL, so that's you know it's kind of home now, I guess. Yeah, and where did you actually grow up? I grew up in Calgary, Alberta, uh, in Canada, um, on the prairie. So the, uh, just straight north of Montana. For people out there that don't know, if they do know, they should. But um, yeah, I grew up in Calgary, born and raised, uh, well, born in Medicine Hat, but raised in Calgary, moved there when I was like two. So I just consider myself from Calgary. Yeah. Were you a Flames fan growing up? I was. And I remember when they won the Stanley Cup, we all went down to, to the parade. We skipped school. Um, so yeah, I, it w- what was really cool was getting to play against a lot of the guys that I used to watch. Right. Um, you know, it's when they were a little bit older, like I got to play against like Al McInnes and I got to play against Mike Vernon. And so that was a bit, it was a bit strange, but it's pretty cool. We, we, we hated the Oilers because there's a big rivalry between Calgary and Edmonton. Um, and I don't know how many Gretzky car, rookie cards I probably destroyed, uh, in my lifetime. I don't even want to think about it. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, we were the lovable losers because we could never beat the Oilers until we finally did. <laughs> well, I, I can imagine, I mean, Vancouver is not that far from, from Calgary. I mean, obviously Canada is a big country, so it is far in the scheme of things, but team wise, it, it's not that far. What was it like, you know, playing against Calgary as well as, did you have like your family being able to come out to games when you played in Vancouver? Yeah. Um, my, yeah, my parents used to come. It was pretty easy that way. Just starting with New York, um, was a little different. That's why I got drafted by was the Rangers. So I, my parents got out, they never saw me play a game with the Rangers. Um, but when I got traded to Vancouver, it was much easier for them to come on and watch games. And I got, I only got one start in the NHL in Calgary, the saddle Dome, And that was pretty cool. And we ended up winning. So that was good. Um, but yeah, it was nice being in Vancouver because it was much closer for my parents to come visit. You know, friends would come in and watch you play. Um, so it made it pretty easy. 
Yeah, for sure. Well, I, I want to go back, you know, back to yeah. the you know childhood growing up and all those kind of things, but I think let's, let's start off with your editorial and then the player's tribune that was back in 2017. Yeah. I actually can remember reading it. And in 2017, I was a couple of years out of my snowboard career and having experienced similar things with depression and anxiety and things that led me to walk away from the sport. And then afterwards, so I really related. So first off, I just want to say like your, your piece reached a lot of people and helped a lot of people through sharing your story. So I really appreciate your vulnerability of writing that. I think especially with the culture in the NHL and sports, even at the time, like it's already progressed so much in just five years, it obviously would have been huge to open up and, and write about that. What was it like, uh, you know, like actually, you know, opening up and, and telling your story? You know, it was, I was ready to do it. Um, at first I was going to write a book. That's okay. kind of how, and then I, I met a, a couple of ladies that run the Sedine Foundation and Trevor Linden's Foundation, very smart women, um, Lana Quinn and, and Catherine McCauley. And they were, they were, um, uh, had talked to Jessica Berman at the NHL and it was kind of a, a behind the scenes thing that I didn't even know what was happening, but uh, went to the Players' Tribune to do it because it was such a compelling story and it got out there much more quickly uh whenever you have like an online thing like that it can of course with the web it just you know it spreads uh whereas a book it's a specific person that's going to pick it up and read it and not everybody's going to read it whereas an article like that is um something that that you know could like i said get the message out there quickly uh it was written extremely well and i helped but i can't say that i wrote it even though it does come from your perspective it was a guy named sean Conboy who he just nailed it he gets it um and it's been very difficult to find anybody i know that understands obsessive compulsive disorder uh and what i went through so when all that went down um i was terrified i mean i didn't know what people were you know i i mean it was 20 years like there was a stigma there's a reason that i hit it for 20 years mm -hmm. but i was at the point where i felt like i needed to do something i'd met another player that was playing in the national hockey league uh and he was an active player a lot younger than i was at the time and um he was in rehab and his own mother had to uh, resuscitate him twice from fentanyl overdoses and when I told him my story, when we got to talking, he was like, you know, I have pretty much the same thing is basically what he said when he looked at me. And I never realized anybody else up to that point. I never met anybody else that had OCD, to be honest, that I'd right. talk openly to. And so it was like, I didn't realize how deadly it can be. And OCD, most of my friends have tried to take their own life at one point that have OCD. Or they know somebody that had OCD and has been successful at taking their own life. So I, at the time, didn't realize how quite deadly it is and how, um, but it's treatable, right? So I wanted to get both messages across. Uh, so that's kind of where all that came from. Right. And what was that response like? I mean, obviously you just shared having, being able to relate and see someone else who all of a sudden saw in you that ability to relate where they might not have seen it before with someone else, especially who was playing in the NHL. What, what was the response, positive and negative? Well, I, I think, uh, I don't think I had a negative comment, but it was, I was, the timing was perfect for my article because there was a lot of people that came before me that spoke mental health wise, but people weren't ready to hear it. Yeah. Uh, Clint Malarchuk, Sheldon Kennedy, there were other people that tried to make that 
my article was so well written by Sean um, and people didn't understand that OCD could be like that. They all thought it was the hand washers and the organizers. And, oh, that's cute. What's wrong with being overly clean? It's not like that. Right. I did everything in my head and people didn't, you know, majority of people don't, didn't understand because there was a stereotype about OCD out there. And when it hit, I think people didn't understand how, you know, debilitating it can be and mental health in general. But I just think that it hit at the right time when people were ready to listen. Uh, Everybody was tired of of being stigmatized because, you know, the numbers they say are one in four. I think they're like three in four of people that struggle with some form of mental health issue at some point in their life. Uh, Maybe one in four for a severe mental health issue, but we all struggle with anxiety and depression at some point. Uh, I don't know anybody that has it. And if they probably, if they say, no, I've never had probably lying to me, right? Mm-hmm. you know? So I think the timing was right. And today I believe it's still one of the most, um, you know, clicked upon articles ever in players Tribune history. And that's with people like Derek Jeter and, you know, all the other big names that have put articles forward with the players Tribune. I mean, I'm, uh, to have my name in there with the hall of famers like that, um, obviously, you know, struck something that needed to be taken seriously. Yeah. I think the impact of sharing your story, like you said, yeah, good timing. And it was, it was definitely impactful and really very much well-written. So if anyone's listening and you haven't yet read it, definitely go do so. I'll make sure to put it in the show notes. Um, but I want to like unpack some of the things in it for those who haven't maybe, uh, read it yet or, we, we can just walk through it a little bit. I want to go back to growing up in hockey and just growing up in general. When did those, those intrusive thoughts and those, those things kind of start and did it, did it, did it start at one point And then you started unpacking later, realizing that some things, you know, maybe you didn't notice when you were younger could have, you could have actually had started earlier. Yeah. I, I mean, I was probably always susceptible to it. When I look back, I don't, the, the onset of OCD was probably always there, but there comes a point where, you know, it's, I, I believe that it's like water trickling through a, a crack in a dam, right? It's there, it's there, it's there, but eventually the dam just breaks. And I describe it as when I was 21 years old, that it just kind of broke, you know, the, the wires completely disconnected. So I think, I was probably always susceptible to it, but you know, there came a point where it just completely came out and unraveled. And most people can, there seems to be two, two sides of OCD. Some people can remember it slowly coming on. And then some just remember the exact day time where they were when things just kind of broke. Right. And, and that's kind of, I'm on the ladder. I I, I can tell you exactly where I was, what I was doing um, day time. Uh, when when it just all of a sudden, you know, connected and and well disconnected, I would say is a better word, and just kind of hit me full tilt, um, you know. So that I would say that was around twenty one years old, and it seems to be that's kind of the age range of of most of it is between seventeen and twenty four, okay. uh, when people do start to and I, and I'm not you know, I'm no doctor, of course, (laughs) I'm not really qualified, but I believe that's kind of the main age range, but it doesn't, it can happen as early as five years old. Right. I mean, there's no, and nobody really knows, uh, you know, there's no real reason why it's not like, you know, well, I got, you know, I got a cold because I did this or I got the flu because I I was out with someone else had the flu. Right. Whereas like, this is something that I don't believe there's, they really even know why. 
you know, just something in the brain just kind of goes wonky, I guess would be what it is. Right. Well, it's very similar with, yeah, there's a lot of with bipolar and anxiety yeah. where, you know, all of a sudden, yeah, you feel these, these things creeping on. And then you remember that date of the first anxiety attack or panic attack. And it's, mm-hmm. you start, yeah, I know for me, you know, piecing back together. Okay. Yeah. Maybe I was always an anxious kid and these things, but until that, that kind of moment hits where you have that kind of break, it's, you don't recognize it necessarily. And you spoke in in the article about hockey being a bit of an uh, an escape for you, but at the same time, you know, there's that stigma within sports and within hockey. Do you think that contributed, like both positive and negative, with not feeling like you were able to necessarily seek help earlier or speak out about it, with you know maybe repercussions from your coaches or feeling like you wouldn't be played as much? Well, there's a lot to that question because there's a lot of answers to it, and I'll ask your opinion too. But so for me. Um, there's a bunch of things that are involved. People always say, people ask me, did hockey do this to you? The stress, the pressure of being a goalie hockey probably saved my life. Um, The game itself is a great game. The people within it can be the problem, right? But the game itself uh, taught me all those skills that I needed resilience, uh, the ability to bounce back, the ability to keep moving forward, the ability, you know, courage, all those, all those personal skills that I needed to stay alive. So hockey gave me those. So hockey, that's why I say hockey actually saved my life because the skills it taught me, um, you know, were kept me, kept me going, kept me alive. Whereas the stigma was a problem because what is that? The stigma isn't the game. The stigma is the people in it, right? It comes from people. It doesn't come from hockey. So, um, you know, yeah. And, and back then, and even now guys are reluctant to come forward because there still is, it's better. Um, but we need to make people understand too, that it's no different than, um, you know, a guy that's played on a, on a, on a bad knee. Well, you know, he gets his knee fixed. All of a sudden he can play at a top ability again. Right. Yeah. But we see it as once a mental health issue, forever, a mental health issue. You'll never be able to win. You'll never be able to, that's mental. That's you know, heaven forbid. Right. But I'll tell you this, if the numbers are one in four, that means 25% of every Super Bowl team, statistically, every hockey team, every basketball team, every, every championship team out there has you know, 25% of their players struggling with some form of a mental illness or a mental health issue. So, you know, Michael Phelps, 23 gold medals, right? Like, so it, the stigma is ridiculous that, you, yeah. you know, but that was the general perception Well, you can't win with a guy that has a mental health issue. Well, guess what? I'd take Michael Phelps on my team any day, you know, and there's lots of people out there. Um, like I said, statistically, 25% and the numbers don't discriminate. It doesn't discriminate. Like it's it, just because you're a hockey player doesn't mean you're going to, you're not going to get a mental health issue or a doctor or a lawyer or, a, uh, you know, or, or a construction worker, whatever you are, mental health doesn't discriminate. So, you know, like I say, again, when you go to the statistics, every team has somebody, every professional sports team that has somebody making millions of dollars has a mental health issue. So the stigma is, is it's, yeah, it's ridiculous. And as far as why, you know, all of the everything, though, to tie it together, um, and I don't know how you feel about this, but I have a bit of a chip on my shoulder because why was I not educated about this stuff in school? 
Mm-hmm. Is why couldn't you tell me about OCD? Why? Because why can't you talk to me about anxiety, depression, teach me what it is, bipolar, what to look for in case this happens to you or in your brain? Uh, I ended up kill, almost killing myself because I didn't know when, if I knew what OCD was, I probably would have been able to go, okay, this sounds like that OCD thing. I don't know if it is for sure, but I'm going to go see a doctor and a therapist to figure this out. Instead, I spent three years not knowing what the hell was going on in my brain. Right. Like, and that's what kept me hiding and almost killed me. So why are we still not teaching our kids this in schools? And so part of it is education. Part of it is the stigma. But lastly, like I said, that's a long, quite a long answer question. But lastly, I want people to know that the game is a great game, basketball, football, hockey, whatever it teaches you life skills in it. And it kept me alive. Yeah, no, I agree with you entirely about the the education piece. I it it blows my mind the things we learn in school that we might not apply later when these are real issues that are you know we're right now there's a mental health crisis especially with student athletes but with young people in general and the fact that we still are not learning about these things today is just absolutely mind blowing and I I 100% relate you know being in in the sport of snowboarding is such an action sport the sport forces you to be present in the moment which is an amazing feeling but at the same time you know thinking you you work with a sports psychologist and they're thinking you have performance anxiety and you're like no I I love the pressure I'm dealing with just like my anxiety is coming outside of the sport um and they don't necessarily know how to deal with that and then of course there's the stigma of if I tell my coach if I tell my team are they going to select me for the team next year how is that going to go? So what do you think that, like, I know now there's, there's more education, you know, like um, sports teams are bringing in people, they're bringing in speakers to talk about it, but I do believe there's still that stigma or not necessarily the, the safe community built within a team to feel like, you know, sure you say all these things, but if I do step forward, am I still actually going to be supported? Or are you going to look at me differently or play me differently, giving me different playing time? What could be done, whether that's, the responsibility of the coaches or systems to, to improve that. Do you think? Well, I I think it's educating people, educating people don't know. They they don't know. They know how to fix a knee. They they know, okay, you need, you need, you tore your ACL. Okay. You got to get surgery. It's eight months. Okay. Eight months. You'll be back. You'll be stronger than ever. Whereas they can't see in their brain. So they don't, it's like, well, what is that? What is it? Does that mean you're going to crumble? Does that mean you know when when the pressure's on? Are you kidding me? And I and I say this, I, I made the NHL with like an extreme mental illness, like an extremely that's like two hands tied behind my back while everybody else was playing with, right? But you're going to call me weak and that I'm going to crumble in a big game? Yeah. No, no, it's not. That's but that's what the general perception is, right? That's that's the stigma. Yeah. Um, some of the strongest people I know have pretty severe mental health issues. Um, but you know, that's that, but we need to educate players on today. You, if you have a mental health issue, it's none of your team's goddamn business, to be honest. Right. It's your, you can go, I don't tell, you know, my team every time I, I get a, a the flu or, or something. Right. Um, that's my own personal business. I can, we need to educate people that where to go, what to do, who to go see, uh, go see your family doctor, right? If it's personal and you don't, you know, if it's, say there's a, a, say you got problems in your marriage, well, you don't have to go to the team. Yeah. You can go to your family doctor. You can go to a, a marriage counselor. Team doesn't need to know. 
right? So yeah. we need to teach players and people that they don't need to go to their team. The team doesn't need to know all the time. If it affects your job and your work, yeah, you probably do got to talk to somebody, right? Uh, that's only fair to the team. But they do have great resources in place. So the NHL has doctors, programs, psychologists, psychiatrists, everything in place. Players are reluctant to use them because they think it's a pipeline to the coach or something could mm. slip up. And that does yeah. happen. But there is a confidentiality agreement. Uh, players just don't buy into it. Um, and that's okay. You know, every team has somebody. Here's the other. So if they don't want to use the team, we need to teach them where to go. Because most people don't know where to go and what to do. So you don't have to suffer in silence. You can go see you know, your own psychiatrist or psychologist or whatever you need. Um, so that's a big piece of it too, educating players, uh, educating families. And just to get back to a little bit about the school stuff that you were talking, because another thing, I get, sorry, I'm coming around on this, but, you know, we don't talk about suicide in our schools. Why? Right. Yeah. Because we're afraid that someone's going to get an idea. And that's the other side of it, too. Statistically, it's proven that when you talk about suicide and you don't make it something to be ashamed of and something to sweep under the rug, it actually prevents suicide. Yeah. Statistically, it's proven. Um, and when you don't talk about it and make people feel shameful for it, and that goes through the whole gamut of what's wrong with the system. Right. That if we talk about something, we're going to, we're going to create more of it. But again, back to the, back to players and teams, um, teach them where to go if they don't want to use their team. Right. Yeah. Teach, teach, teach them, educate, comes back to education. So that's why I'm out there trying to do this. And that's the other side with, with the blindsided podcast is, is that, um, you know, we're trying to educate people and teach them and make them and let them know like, Hey, you know, um, Bubba Watson has gone to get help. I've gone to get help. Uh, Everson Griffin's gone to get help. Kevin Love's gone to get help. We'll get, and you can too. And Kevin Love's an NBA all-star. Bubba Watson is one of the master. Like these are the elite of the elite, you know? So don't tell me that they're weak or that you wouldn't want them. You know, I, I take Kevin Love on my basketball team every day. If I'm trying to win a championship, this guy had a panic attack in front of 20,000 people. Um, so, you know, we need, that's where it's people that, that are keeping the stigma alive and it's the most ridiculous thing ever. A hundred percent. I think that's, it's such a good point of, you know, getting the awareness out and showing people who are extremely successful at what they're doing and showing that they have gotten help and they were able to get better. And they're, you know, educating people on what they did to get better so that people can see, and even a coach could change their perspective of thinking, okay, wow, like if this top athlete was able to go through this and get better then this young player on my team, I don't have to worry that, you know, oh my gosh, this is something I have no idea about should I ever play them again because they're going through this it's like no like there's a treatment plan similar to like you said the the ACL reference you know you're going to do this rehab you're going to do this and and you'll be able to get back um and at your top performance so I yeah I appreciate all the work that you do sharing people's stories on the podcast because I think it just incredibly important and I want to go back to I know we were just talking about kind of the stigma in sports 
think there's also a little bit of a stigma outside of sports. And this is something I've really noticed, especially when we saw Simone Biles open up about her mental health and just the comment sections were in. Oh, it's disgusting. It was horrible. And especially as someone who's been through it, just reading this was, it was heartbreaking and seeing how many people still believe, like if you're making this much money or you're on TV or you're famous, or you have these things that society deems as successful or worthy or other people want in a sense that you cannot be struggling. And we actually know that the, the rates of mental illness in, uh, and mental health issues in athletes, CEOs, people dealing with this high pressure is actually higher than in, in general. And so to have people just compare, I know, obviously, you know, it's, it's very hard when you're fighting just for food security or home security on top of dealing with mental, mental issues, of course, but mental health doesn't discriminate. And so I'm wondering what's, what's your thoughts on, on that whole stigma, as well as how we can change that stigma as well, because the more and more that people are coming forward, we're, there's still that backlash. Well, it goes back to the mental health doesn't discriminate right? Doesn't care how much money you have. Yeah. It doesn't care. doesn't care if you live in poverty. It doesn't care if you have a billion dollars. It, it doesn't matter. You're just as susceptible as everybody else is. Um, you know, and I think it's, it's a problem in society in general that we always think that more money means that your life is better and that you have, you know, less problems, right? That you're not susceptible to any of that. And it's, it's, it's disgusting that a lot of people I know that are friends of mine that um, do have money or they're professional athletes struggle with coming forward because they're going to get, you know, ripped a new one. Like they shouldn't have any problems. Well, I don't care if you have $5 million in the bank, bipolar sucks, right? Like, and I, I know there's plenty of athletes and plenty of people that have lots of money. It's, it's ridiculous. So we're going to shame those people into suicide because they have money, right? Yeah. Like that's ridiculous. Well, why? So there it's, it's okay for, but you know, it's not okay. You know, like for Simone to, to back out because she's, you know, whatever she had going on, actually it was admirable of her to do that, to recognize that and be able to, you know, let one of her teammates end up competing, you know, instead of her. Right. So, but instead, you know, she got absolutely, you know, crushed by some people. And there were a lot of people there. There were a lot of people that were positive supporters and the ones that weren't, you know, that to me, that's just, that's disgusting. So, you know, what if this person was suicidal and, and, and you say all that stuff, right? Like it's ridiculous. I mean, we don't, we don't have to walk on eggshells because somebody's, you know, got a mental health issue, but you know, have some compassion and empathy. If, if she, you know, if she had sprained an ankle, everyone would have been like, Oh, that's too bad. Oh, Darren, she's out. Right. But instead depression, which is, can be a thousand times worse than a sprained ankle (laughs) all of a sudden, because we can't see it, we're going to rip into that person and call them a quitter and this and that. No. I mean, what if that person's suicidal? Right. I mean, it's, it's like, that's, that's the stigma and that's the problem. Um, and if you haven't experienced that, you know, it's hard to understand, but I haven't knock on wood. I haven't experienced cancer. I don't, I can't, I don't know what it's like for someone like that, but I can empathize with them and, 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 you know, right. So why is it different with mental health? Well, why do we not empathize with people? Right. Instead we stigmatize them. And I didn't ask for OCD. 
I mean, I didn't, I didn't say universe. Hey, give me, that sounds like fun. Hey, I, I want to get OCD so badly. I'm debilitated and I try and kill myself. Yeah. That sounds like a really good time. Right. So why am I punished that something in my brain doesn't function properly? I didn't do that. I didn't do anything for that. Right. But we're going to stigmatize and call people, you know, names and make them feel bad for that. Well, feel bad for what? what did I do? Right. Like, so it's, to me, it's, yeah, it needs to change. We're trying to change it. That's what we're doing with the podcast. It's getting better. We're in a better place now, um, where at least people will talk about it. Uh, and I'll tell you what, there's a hell of a lot more of us with mental health issues than there are that aren't. And, you know, we're not going to let the bullies that don't have it push us down anymore. Yeah, no, I, I agree with everything you said, and especially about empathy. I think the empathy part is is just so key there. I know before I went through a bout of depression, I couldn't understand when people seemed to have this amazing life on the outside, but they were struggling. And it, it was hard for me to piece it together as, you know, a young a young teen. We had, a, unfortunately, three or four suicides in my high oh. school. Um, and so for me, it was like, oh, but this person seemed so happy or this, and it's hard to understand until you've gone through it. And like, when you go through it and everything on the outside seems really happy, you have an amazing family, you have all these things, and yet you're still feeling like that. All of a sudden you've opened your eyes to this level of empathy for anyone else who's, who's gone through that and and various things. And so uh, it's, it, it is hard for people who haven't gone through it to understand, but I think listening to stories and seeing stories and, and listening to a podcast like yours, um, or this conversation even, you know, will will open people's eyes a little bit to, to those kind of things. And so I'm, I'm curious from your perspective of hosting that podcast, being someone who's experienced those kind of things, and then talking with other people who've experienced that, what are the the biggest things that you've learned through one relating to other people's stories, but also just listening to other people's stories through, through hosting the podcast. That we're all, we're all human and we're all, we're all the same. We're all susceptible to the same things. Maybe you have it in a different form than I do. Right. But just be, uh, again, that's probably one of the biggest things I've, I've, I've learned through the podcast is, is that, and we always say this, you know, and a celebrity puts their pants on, you know, one leg at a time, just like everybody else's, but it's the truth, right? It's the truth. And people that what I never would have expected had had issues or whatever. That's that we all do. That's probably one of the biggest thing. The other is, is that um, on an athletic side, it's fascinating to learn that a lot of these players and golfers and people that we've, we're all just extremely talented at whatever sport we play. It's so bizarre. Like you put a baseball in my hand, you put a basketball, well, maybe not a basketball, but uh, <laughs> you know, cause I'm not tall enough, but you, you put like something athletic in our hands. We can just do it yeah, uh, and do it to an extreme level. And that was kind of neat how we all kind of think that same way. The elite of the elite, like when we interviewed Kurt Warner, he thinks on a different level which was really cool for me to see. Then I was like, I don't think it quite like that. So that was interesting too. But as far as mental health goes um, on that side with, with the podcast, um, we all understand that, you know, the stigma and what it's like to be scrutinized and what it's like for people to, to try and and push you down and beat you down and stigmatize you. It's like I said, like uh, something in my brain didn't, 
doesn't function properly. I don't know what it is. I didn't ask for it. Just no different than somebody from cancer. They didn't ask for cancer. They didn't ask for, for that to happen in their body. But you know what I can do? I can empathize with that person. I don't understand it. I don't know what it's like. And for me to say, I know what it's like would be a gross disservice to that person that has cancer, but I can empathize with them. Why can I not get empathized for, for what I have? Why can I not, why, why does Simone Biles not get empathy, right? Something in her brain isn't functioning properly. And that's, well, that's what we need to teach her kids. And, and like I said, it's uh, when you tell me that there was three or four suicides in your high school, to me, that's disturbing because we've done as a society we've done those people a disservice are we going to put an end to suicide probably not um but we can put a dent in it by educating people and having it in high schools and having it um you know known that there's help that's out there um you know that's so for me um this is the suicide has a lot to do with me for me right that telling people that there's hope and that there's treatment available and that's not the answer. 100%. Yeah. And I think that, that the stigma also of, you know, someone has it worse. I think that's a big thing that contributed to the right. hate that Simone Biles got. But if we always just look at the world as someone has it worse, well, then there's only one person who can truly complain. Whoever has it, the absolute worst defined by who knows what type of definitions. So it's like, we all have things to, to deal with. Everyone has something to deal with. And I think everyone's, you know, issues are valid because you can't just keep comparing them to other people and all oh, this person has it worse. So I can't seek help or whatever that, that stigma may be. Well, within a, within a three month period, I had a silver medal from the Olympics and I drank out of the Stanley cup with the New York Rangers. I wanted to, I tried to kill myself two weeks after the Stanley cup win, but like you could, you couldn't tell me how great my life was. Yeah. It looked great on the outside. Hey, the outside is awesome. But my brain wasn't functioning properly on the inside. That has nothing to do with drinking out of the Stanley cup or, or having a a silver medal, right? You can, you can, you can have a silver medal um, and, and a, and a Stanley cup win and, and still get it go to the doctor two weeks after drinking out of the Stanley cup and find out you have a disease, a deadly, right? Like, so, but, but, but those people are supposed, well, that's okay. You have, you you have, I know you have a deadly disease or you have something that, you know, could end your life, but you got a silver medal and you drink out of the Stanley cup. That must be awesome. You must feel, no, it doesn't work that way. But people think that your life should be, that's great. No, I had a severe mental health issue, like a Stanley cup and a silver medal. were not going to make that go away or make me feel any better. And this is what I tell people too. If someone has a mental health issue and you know them pointing out their life, how great it is actually makes them feel worse. It it would have made me feel worse because yeah, you're right. Why do I feel this way? I'm, I'm a shitty person. I'm a bad person. I feel awful. There's people that have it way worse than me. I even feel worse about myself now, which is going to, push me deeper into depression for something that I didn't even ask for. Right. So we have to be careful of that. All you need to do is uh, have empathy, compassion, listen without judgment, right. And encourage helps available. I'm not qualified to help anybody. I'm not, I don't have a psychiatry degree. I don't, I'm not a doctor, but what can I do? I can listen. I can be non-judgmental and I can encourage helps available. Right. And help that person get help. That's all I can do. But that might save their life, too. 
100%. I, I really appreciate you, especially listing out those steps, because I think anybody can learn those tools. And of course, we're not all going to be experts when our friend comes to us, maybe with suicidal thoughts. No. But if we have some education, or can at least just just listen without judgment that, you know, that goes a long way. Um, what, what would be your advice to the, the next generation of people coming up, but also athletes coming up who are still dealing with some of these stigmas? What's your advice to them to kind of be proactive about taking care of their mental health? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, there's, there's things obviously that we can do diet exercise, those, those things that we all should do every day. Um, those things, you know, those little things that we learn, but the, the biggest, there's a difference between being, you know, having anxiety and depression at a level that we all have, right. There's, there's different levels of it and having a, you know, being bipolar or, you know, OCD or suffering from panic attacks. Right. But if you don't take care of the anxiety and the depression early, well, can turn into that. So preventative early intervention and preventative things can, you know, um, prevent you from starting to have panic attacks, right? But again, we need to teach that and educate that. Um, but taking care of yourself is, is the biggest thing. Um, but as, as far as, you know, what, what can we do as, as young athletes? Educate yourself, right? Educate yourself on it so that if something does happen or that you see it happen in a teammate, you can help them and help them along. Um, and for yourself, here's the other thing too, is, is that I encourage if you have early intervention is the biggest thing, but if you're struggling and you get the help, you'll be a better athlete. You'll be a better player. It's struggling and sitting in silence and, and not doing anything about it because of a stigma. Um, you can't perform to your, to your greatest potential. So for me spending three years, um, I didn't eat properly. I didn't train properly. I couldn't sleep properly. There were so many things that, you know, factored into me not being the best that I could be on the ice. And then finally, when things crumbled um, and I had to go get help, I was actually a better player after because I got help. I could sleep, I could train, I could do everything I needed to do. Unfortunately, because I spent three years hiding and I finally crashed in front of my team and my teammates, everybody saw that. I ended up getting kind of pushed to the side and never really getting another opportunity to play in the NHL. And that's okay. And, the, and part of it was the game changed and, you know, I was getting older, but a lot of it was, you know, no one was going to give me a chance after what happened. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's okay. But now there's no reason. And I say this to companies, they say, okay. Uh, I say this to companies and sports teams. Look, You've paid this player. If you want to look at it from a business standpoint or a personal standpoint, I don't care how you look at it. Getting this person help is going to be better for everybody. If you play, if you, let's say you paid a player a million dollars, right? He yeah. suffers from panic attacks. You don't get him the help and he struggles on the ice. You send him the minors or you just, you just let him go as a free agent or whatever. You just lost a million dollars. You just put a million dollars to somebody that you've lost. Now, if you get that person help, you've just actually, that person's going to be a bit think they already played in the NHL at a million dollars with a mental health issue. You get that person help, you know, they're going to be a better player. They're going to be better for you and, and they're going to help your team. Right. And it's so financially until you make it make sense for business owners to see it financially, I think you're always going to struggle with that. Um, but 
to let them know that your, your player is going to be a better player when you get them help. Try playing around on a, on a torn ACL and, and, and um, you know, try playing like that and never getting it fixed. Well, what kind of players your player going to be, yeah. right? Gets it fixed. Well, of course, he's going to be a better player, right? It's We treat mental health and physical health differently, and it's the same thing. And, I, and I'll finish with this. Okay, if I hurt my knee, what do I do? Well, go to the trainer, go to the doctor, get it diagnosed, probably maybe get on some medication, some anti-inflammatories to help me. And then I go do my rehabilitation, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, if something goes wrong in my brain, what do I do? What, what should I do? Well, probably go to my doctor, probably get on some medication, go do my rehabilitation, right? Like, yeah. What's the difference? There isn't a difference. So we need to stop treating it differently. Yeah, I appreciate that. I think that's so important. That comparison is massively important and important for the awareness, the stigma, the education piece. It's, yeah, it's huge. Now you're a multifaceted person. You're more than an athlete. You're more than the mental health struggles that you've been through. What are, you know, some of the things I think this is, could be inspiration for a young athlete who's dealing with mental health, who's listening right now. You know, you you hit the brakes in your car, you you continued your life. What are some of the favorite memories and things that you've done since then? Yeah. Well, I mean, my I mean, my life is based around mental health. Like what I do now is better than any win I ever got in any hockey game I ever played. Any any moment of hockey ever. What I do today, you know, when someone says that I've helped them is is way better than. It's a million times better. It fills my soul is what it does. Um, when I was a player, it was all about me, right? It was my pregame, my, what are they saying in the paper about me? What are they talking about? Did I, you know, everybody loves me. It's all this me, 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 me. Well, when I got out of the game, you're looking around and it's you, 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 but you're all alone. What do you have left? Right. And you look in the mirror at you. And what I found is, is that, um, my purpose and purpose in life isn't about being a hockey player or winning a hockey game. It's about helping people. And that's what fills my soul. Right. So it's, it's twofold in the sense that I get to help people, but they're actually helping me too, because that's what fills my soul. Right. And to me, the meaning of life is about helping others. Right. And that doesn't mean you forget about you and you, you know, you got to take care of you too, or, you know, with diet exercise and making sure that you don't, you know, whatever that, all those things that you need. But for me, helping somebody else fills my soul. So every time I do that, I feel better and I feel like I've contributed. Right. So, uh, you know, those are probably the, the biggest things for me. And it took me a long time to realize that till my story came on the Players Tribune. Um, but as far as moments, I mean, every time I do a talk and 10 people come up to me afterwards and thank me and tell me their story and, you know, and just that I've helped them in some way. Like there's, there's so many of them um, that for me, are those are the biggest moments that I've made a difference. I've made an impact in somebody's life and hopefully for the better, as far as, you know, a player that's out there, if you're struggling, go get the help. Don't wait. It's, it's ridiculous to wait. You'll be a better player, better person, uh, you know, moving forward. If you get the help, like think how good you're doing now, but early intervention is the key because like anything, you know, you have a broken leg. You can't walk around on it for three years. Guess what? It's going to get worse, right? It's going to get mental health is the same. You know, you keep pretending that it's not happening. It's going to get worse. So early intervention is the key. 
I, well, I so appreciate you sharing that as well as just being so open and vulnerable with sharing your story, not only here on the podcast, but obviously through your own podcast, through that, the editorial that came out and through everything else that, that you're sharing, you're speaking, you're doing. Before we get into the final three questions that I ask every guest, I would love if you can share, you know, what else you're working on besides the podcast? What's, what's new? What's big? What's upcoming? Yeah, I have a book. It's called The Save of My Life. It was actually uh, came out about two weeks ago uh, and it was top 10 in the bestseller list in Canada. So that was pretty cool. That means uh, it's very, it's my story uh, plus educationally. So I, I hope people will pick it up and read it because it's, um, it's got a lot in there. It's not just me telling my story. There's a lot of education pieces in there too. I got the podcast and I do, I do speaking. I speak professionally. I've spoken to probably 40 or 50 different construction groups now uh, I just finished talking to the BCHL league, all their teams. Um, and that's been incredible. It's been, like I said, that's part of the gift and it fills my soul that, I mean, and if, if there's anybody out there listening that wants me to speak, just go to my website, coreyhirsch.com. But those are the things that I'm doing and it's all mental health based. I've, I've really just put myself, immersed myself in it, uh, full steam ahead with the mental health and, um, it's changed my life. It really has. And I get things when I help somebody else, I get it back tenfold. So I appreciate you asking me that. Well, amazing. I know that it's helping so many people and um, we're going to put a link in the show notes to all those things, your website, the the podcast, definitely the article. If people haven't listened to, or, or sorry, read it, um, put it there. Obviously it's a, a low barrier uh, entryway to learning all about your story. And then of course the, the new book, hopefully people will go over and, and then check that out. Now I have three questions. I ask every guest at the awesome. end of the podcast. And the first one is what out of all your daily habits is the one biggest game changer for you? Uh, out of all my daily habits, I love coffee. Good Lord. But that's <laughs> not a game changer. You know, um, that's a, that's a really good question. Uh, out of all my daily habits, what is the biggest game changer for me? Probably exercise. Right. And I don't, I, uh, you know, like I need to do more of it, but anytime I do, I feel a million times better. It's like the fog list from my brain. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that's good for everybody. So, um, for me, it's exercise is probably the biggest thing. Awesome. Okay. The second one is you're at the end of your life. You're looking back on everything you've done. What is the impact that you wanted to have made? Um, just that my kids would be proud of who their dad was. Hmm. That's it. Honestly, that's the biggest thing is I want my kids at the end of my days to go, you know what? They're proud of me and they're proud that I was their dad. Um, I think that's for me the the you know, you talk about leaving a legacy and, and changing, but for me, it's, are my children proud of their dad? I love that answer. It's so interesting asking athletes who have families versus athletes who don't have families, their answer around that. And it's almost always an athlete who does have a family. It's, it's so focused on, yeah. on their kids and that, that impact. So it's really cool to see. Um, the last one is what do the words all in mean to you? Well, the words all in for me, mean, you know, uh, if you're going to do it, do it to the best of your ability. Doesn't mean that it's going to work out. Doesn't mean that it's going to go perfectly, but Hey, if you're going to put yourself into something, do the best you can. And, um, that, that really is the first thing that hits me when I say, when you say all in, 
Um, so if, if, um, you know, you're going to get into mental health, we'll do everything you can go all in, you know, it's, you'll get it back tenfold, but you know, there's no guarantee, but, um, you know, all in do, do what you can and do it to the best of your ability. Yeah. Well, I, I hundred percent believe that the best, you know, the best investment with the biggest rewards is in your own mental health, whether you struggle with a mental illness or you just want to improve your, your day-to-day well-being. I think, you know, investing in your own well-being and your own brain and, and mind is, I mean, you're going to live with that for the rest of your life versus investing in some car or <laughs> something Absolutely. else. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I do like a nice car though. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that's cool too, for sure. <laughs> Well, I really appreciate you coming on, sharing your story. I know you're a busy guy. You have a lot going on with the book launch, uh, with the podcast, of course, and speaking. And obviously those things are all going to be in the show notes. Um, but thank you again so much for for sharing your story here today, but also sharing your story back in, in 2017. I'm, I'm so glad that you're able to change people's lives through through what you've gone through. Um, I, I know it's not easy to, to share it and come forward, but I think we're all grateful that you did. I love it. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed this. If you like the podcast, the best way to support it is to leave a review and share it with a friend. Truly leaving a written review, letting us know what you liked and want more of, and sharing the podcast so more people can benefit is the best gift you could possibly give us. Thanks again for listening. I'm so grateful for your support, and I'll catch you on the next one.